morning, church. You know, every Sunday morning, I wake up to a text message from a good friend named Jimmy Dodd. And in that text message, there is a prayer for our church. It's always timely. It's always encouraging. And I'm so excited that you get to hear from Jimmy this morning. He leads Pastor Serve out of Kansas City. He has a heart for the church and a love for Jesus that comes through uh, in every conversation we ever have. I have only known Jimmy a couple of years, but boy, have we become fast friends. And I am so grateful for the investment he has made into Woodland Hills Family Church. So would you please give a nice warm welcome to our new friend, Jimmy Dodd. So I was in Atlanta and I had the chance to speak to a church and afterwards I met with a group and I was hearing their jobs in the church. And this man said, well, you know what, I just, I just really, really love the youth. I work with the youth. And this woman said, I work with the kids, get to help out there. This other woman said, you know, I work with lots of young adults. And there's this older man in the back. I always want to be careful when I say older. He was like 90, just to be a little bit safe here. And he had a deep gray beard and I could tell that he was anxious to talk. So I said, sir, what's your job in the church? He said, I'll tell you what my job in the church is. If anybody messes with my pastor, I'll kill him. I thought, I love that guy. Come on. Now, I don't think he would really actually kill them. I mean, it's not Branson that we're, it was in Atlanta. But anyway, uh, but I love that. You know what he said? He said, I've got my pastor's back. Don't mess with my pastor. I love that. Listen, I have a chance to go all over the U.S. and meet with a lot of different pastors. You are immensely blessed in this church with an incredible pastoral staff. Yeah, amen. Listen, everybody on this staff, they're all sinners. They all have strengths and weaknesses. Here's my charge to you. Magnify their strengths and help them in areas in which they might be weak. But you are blessed here with an amazing staff. So, bless you. Now, we're going to have some audience participation. Is that okay? That was very weak. We're going to have some audience participation. Is that okay? We're going to play a little game called Name That Tune. I want you to listen to this. Shout it out. Who's the band? Queen. There you go. Who's the lead singer? Freddie Mercury. I heard that really loud and clear back here. You've just won a $500 prize. See Ted next week. All right. What commercial was that song featured in? Oh, quiet. Cheerios would be incorrect. In other words, you are the one that has to give the $500 to that woman back there. It's featured in T-Mobile, Grubhub, Dr. Pepper, Twix, and I could go on and on. It's the most common song in commercials. You hear it all the time. You hear it so often that you don't even think about it anymore because that's really the theme of our culture. I want it all. I want it right now. And so we come to this series in Ecclesiastes, which is exactly the opposite of that, right? It's exactly the opposite. If you've heard from Ted over these past few weeks as we talk about ambition and as we talk about wealth and as we talk about power and all of these things, we have to be able to lay these things down because these things are not the things that are going to bring us ultimate fulfillment and joy in life. So that whole theme of, you know what, I want this right now, 
That's the message of our world, of our culture, and yet we come to this series in which it just backs things up because we're going to talk about just the need just to be a lot more still, a lot more quiet, listen to the Lord, and see what he has for us. So we come to this great, great chapter, Ecclesiastes 5. I wish we had time to dig deep into everything because this could be a series for, for about a year. There is so much. But we're going to walk through really, really three big themes in this chapter. We're going to talk about the power of listening and stillness. We're going to talk about just the constant pull of wealth, just the constant pull of money and wealth. And then we're going to talk about the promise of the gospel and that, how that ties it all together. So first of all, let's talk about the power just of listening and stillness. It's interesting because Ecclesiastes, as we learn in chapter 1, was written by a man who calls himself the preacher. This is Solomon. And it's interesting because he just says, you know what, so much in life is just meaningless. Why is he saying this? Because he's writing this at the very end of his life. He's come to the very, very end. He's gone through all of these things in life. And as he contemplates life and he looks back over everything that he's tried to fill the void in his life, he says, so much has just been meaningless. And ultimately, it's going to come down to one thing. It's going to come down to God. I know because this is Branson that there's a lot of people here who hunt. I know that there's a lot of people who own rifles. I know that there's a lot of people that you load your own with your own gunpowder. A lot of you name, know the name Hodgson Powder. Bob Hodgson is one of my dearest friends in the world. Spent a part of this week and a good part of the day yesterday with Bob because he's about to enter into God's kingdom. He is right at the end of life. Uh, I, he, he might be there now for all I know. And it was interesting because Bob has had this really full life. You would just be amazed with everything that he's done. But just as he talked on Friday, what really matters in life, when it really comes down to the very, very end, and you look back, it's family and it's God. That's really it. And I think that so often we have this mindset, we've got to fill our lives with so many different things, ambition, power, success, on and on, and yet ultimately at the end of life, it's about very few things but we've got to hold on to those things that really, really matter. So one thing that really matters is the, just the power just to listen and just to be still. And so the, the preacher writes about this in Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Guard your steps when you go into the house of God, for to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, because they don't even know that they're doing evil. Do not be rash with your mouth. Or let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, you are on earth. Let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many, many words. It's interesting because oftentimes we see there is a positive, there's a negative, and then there's a proverb. And that's exactly what this is. That's, that's kind of like the format. But it's just saying, listen, don't, don't be hasty with your words. Learn the power of being quiet. Learn the power of being still. In Job chapter 2, Job is suffering greatly, and his three friends come to him, and they have the greatest counseling session in the history of the world because it says they come to him, and they saw how great was his pain, how deep was his pain, and they sat down and they wept with him, and for seven days they did not say one word. And then after seven days they blew it, right? Because they have all of, the, all, you know, they have all of this advice in the world. But it is so important to know that there can be times where just being still, just the ministry of presence is so critical. I was at Wheaton College many, many years ago, and I lived with a, just a great family. They're the Martins. 
And there's one day in which there's this phone call and Mrs. Martin just breaks down in tears and she says, one of my very best friends, her spouse just died very, very suddenly. So she rushed over to be with all of her friends and um, she was gone for about an hour and a half and she came back and then she was really sobbing. And she said, I feel like such a fool. I was over there and I could not think of one thing to say. I, I couldn't think of, all, all my friends had Bible verses and helpful things to say and they just had the right words and, and I sat there and just wept because I could not think of one word. I did not say one single thing. I am so embarrassed, I am so humiliated. I don't know if I can ever face that group again. About an hour later, the phone rang again and it was that grieving widow and she said, would you come back over to my house? Because I felt like you were the only one that really entered into my pain. She hadn't said one word. Sometimes I think we need to just understand the ministry of presence can be some of the greatest ministry we can ever do. Gosh, I don't want to go to the hospital because I don't know what to say. You don't have to say anything. Just go to the hospital and be there. Just be present with those who are suffering. As I sat with Bob, I didn't need to say things to Bob. Just wanted to be there, just to be with him. At times, the most important thing we can do is learn to simply stand still and just be quiet. James 1.19, be slow to speak, be quick to listen. That's a, it's a theme that we're going to hear all throughout the scriptures. At times, God says, you know what, stop trying to do things, stop, you know, just stop trying to orchestrate everything and learn to be quiet. In Exodus, they're on the way out of Egypt and they come to the Red Sea and the people think, we need to do something. I mean, this is a tragic situation. We need to find some way to work and to do things. And it says this in chapter 14 and verse 13. And Moses said, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. For the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Wow. Don't say anything, just don't do anything. Just stand and see the presence of the Lord. Stand and see the work in the mighty arm of the Lord. I think there's so many times in which we, we just have got to learn to slow down. We've got to learn to just learn to practice active listening more and more. What's it, what, what exactly does that mean? It means we learn to ask questions. It means we ask a lot more questions than we have answers. Jesus asked a lot of questions, didn't he? And this is especially for men. Men, it's so good if we don't always start every question with why or how. Because that can easily put people on the defensive. It's great to start questions with, hey, can you just help me understand a little bit more of what might have been going on in this situation? We need to learn to just respond and with our body language and with our eyes and just really focus in. Times we just have to summarize a little bit. Say, I just want to be really clear on what you just said. But we need to learn to practice just active listening. And listening isn't always with our mouth. Listening, I think we need to learn to practice listening more and more with social media. I think there is such this crazy need that we feel. Every time I see something in the news, I feel like I have to comment. I've got a tweet, I've got a TikTok, I've got a Facebook, you know, book or Instagram, whatever it might be. You know what, maybe we need to have a time where we just fast a little bit from talking so much on social media. You don't have to comment on everything. You really don't. Sometimes it's best to say, God, let me just be silent. There's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of arguments out there right now. Let me just slow down. Because I think that too often we speak before we have heard from God. 
And I have a friend who has this great little saying, which I love. He always says, hey, go to the throne before you go to the phone. I like that. Because so often it's like, man, I want to tell everybody what's going on. I want to give them all of these things that I heard. And sometimes it's best just to slow down a little bit and say, God, help me to really understand what you have in this situation before I start to say anything on social media, before I make phone calls, before I start to talk about this. You know, this passage also talked about dreams. Listen, it's not wrong to have dreams. It's a great thing to have dreams. It's a great thing to have dreams that you hold on to, that you pray for. But here's the most important thing. The prayer that I'm praying, especially this year for myself, is this. Rescue me, O oh Lord, from those dreams that don't include you. We want to have dreams, but we want to have dreams that include the Lord, that include what he is doing. And then the text goes on, and it talks a lot more about the pull of wealth, pull of money. And I realize this can make people, at times, very, very uncomfortable. You know what? If you're just here and you're just, just like actually visiting, it's great to hear this because you need to know what, the, what actually Christians believe about wealth and money. 67 years ago today, there were five young men that felt called to go to work actually in South America. They go down, they serve the, this tribe in Ecuador, and they're martyred 67 years ago today. It's an amazing story about Jim Elliott and these, and these young men. Before he went, Jim Elliott wrote these amazing words. He said this, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. There's tremendous wisdom in that. I would encourage you, if you don't know that story about Jim Elliott and those young men, read, read some, but there's, there's scores of books about that story. But it's such a powerful story that just speaks to us deeply about wealth and how we need to learn to just be able to let things go. So let's go to Ecclesiastes 5 and read verses 10 through 12. It says this, and I'm telling you, it's just right out front here. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Man, that's as plain as it gets, right? Nor he who loves wealth with his income, this is also vanity. With goods increase, they increase who eat them, and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but full is the stomach of the rich, and it will not let him sleep. I love the fact that it's just saying, listen, if you're pursuing wealth, it's vanity. If that's what you're after, it's absolutely vanity because it won't fulfill you. These are things in life that are going to absolutely leave you empty. Now, here's what's fascinating about wealth. All sorts of research and surveys. 90% of the people in the USA agree, money will not solve your problems. People absolutely agree with that. 90% believe that they are the exception to that rule. Right? Oh, money's not gonna solve your problem. However, in my case, it's very different. Money would solve. Therefore, that's why I'm gonna spend everything I have on Mega Millions this week because it could really, it could help me out a lot because I believe God wants me to have a little bit more, so that's what I'm gonna do. I mean, that's just the mindset that we have, I think, so often as Americans. Let's skip down now to verse 18. Behold, what I have seen to be good, and to be very, very fitting, is to eat and drink and to find enjoyment in all the toil which one toils under the sun in the few days of life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Now listen, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. 
for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy in his heart. So pe people oftentimes just tune out there because they say, well, wait a second, that passage is speaking to people that have wealth. This is, this is kind of rich people. And I understand that there's rich people passages and that, that doesn't apply to me. I would say that it does apply to you. I would say that you are rich. And you're thinking, well, I know what you're saying. You're saying I have spiritual riches. I, if, if you know Jesus, I do believe you have spiritual riches, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about money, possessions, wealth. I believe that probably, maybe not, but probably everybody here is rich, and not just rich, but filthy rich. Because you think about rich and wealth, it's always in terms of what everybody else has. That's always a phrase that we use, and it's always comparative, right? Well, com you know, that, that person is rich because they have a staggering amount more than me. So we think about the Branson area, and those people that have the very, very most. Well, they're, they're rich, and the people that don't have as much as them, they, they aren't rich. But let's take a few steps back, and let's look at the world. And let's understand that if you have three basic things, you're rich. I mean, you are absolutely rich rich because the vast majority of this world does not have these three things. First of all, choice. If you have choice, you're rich. Think about the choices you have every day. You wake up, what am I going to wear today? Uh, what am I going to have for breakfast today? If you stop off at Starbucks, there's about 50,000 choices right there. If you stop off at the grocery store, that's over 100,000 choices. You stop off at a restaurant, you have a menu, you have all of these choices. You might think about, okay, which, which, which car do I drive today? Do I even have to go to work today? What, what can, you know, we have so many choices all throughout the day, we don't even think about it anymore. The vast majority of the world doesn't have choice. They eat the same thing every day. It's gonna be rice and beans for one meal every day. Maybe on Friday, you'll get some fish powder sprinkled on because you might wanna have some protein at least once a week. You're probably gonna wear the same thing every week. You don't have any choices in life. I know so many people that I've worked with around the world that have zero choices. If you have choice, you're rich. Number two, if you have privacy, you're rich. If you have a place where you can go to be alone, if you have a room in your house, in your apartment, if you have a place where you can go just to be away from everybody, if you have a car and you know that you can drive to this park or this walking trail and just be alone, you're rich because the majority of the world does not have anywhere where they can go to simply be alone. I spent a lot of time with my friends in Haiti and I take business friends there and they always say, why are the streets always packed in Haiti? Well, it's because four out of five people there don't have jobs and the average home might have five beds, but you might have you know, 15 people that live there, which means they have to sleep in shifts. And if it's not your turn to sleep, there's nothing to do but just to walk the streets. That's why the streets are always packed in Haiti. And that's the way it is around the world. If you have a chance for privacy, just to be alone, you're rich because the majority of the world doesn't have that. And then number three, basic opportunity. I hope that you're not so naive that you say, well, you know what, I, I have what I have because I've worked really hard in life, and you know what, I paid my, my, gosh, my way through college, and I've worked hard my entire life, and I have what I have because I've worked hard. I hope you're not that naive. Because, as I say, I take these friends to Haiti, and they meet really smart business leaders who have worked crazy hard, and they're dirt poor. Why? Because they live in Haiti. 
You were born in this country at this time with these opportunities, and you have what you have because of the grace of God. That's why you have what you have. And I wish we understood that a little bit more. I'd love to hear a sports figure. I'd love to hear some type of an interview where it's like, hey, you know, Dustin Johnson, what's it like to be the greatest golfer in the world? I'd love to hear him say, well, you know what? Let, let me just put a little spin on that. Actually, I'm not the greatest golfer in the world. I'm the greatest golfer of those who've had the opportunity to learn how to play golf, which is less than one-tenth of one percent. And the odds are crazy high that if everybody in the world had the same opportunity that I've had, I wouldn't even be in the top 1,000. So I realize that everything I have is just because I've been blessed with this incredible opportunity. I wish we had that perspective. By the way, that's why Usain Bolt is the greatest athlete in the world, ever. Because the 100-yard dash is one of the few sports in the world, it's equal opportunity. That and the World Cup are the most important sporting events in the world. Because they're the closest that we have, even though they're not quite there, they're the closest we have to equal opportunity. So we have to understand we have what we have by God's incredible, amazing grace. That brings us to basically, we've got to come back to the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel. And it's interesting because the preacher is just saying, hey, you know what? We, we've got to get back to the fact that what we need is to learn how to worship God with reverence and awe. Not with just empty promises, because wealth will not satisfy. Empty words will not fill a void. We need to come back over and over again to a place of grace. And grace does not excuse us from godliness. Grace drives us into obedience, but it makes a massive difference. We don't obey so that God will love us. We obey because God loves us. You see, that's what makes Christianity so different from everything else in the world. Because grace drives us to that place that we can say, you know what, everything I have is not because I've worked hard, it's because of his amazing, gracious hand. And so Freddie Mercury says, you know what, I don't just want to be a rock star, I want to be a rock legend. And I want to go down in history, and I think this song, I Want It All, is a song that's going to make me a rock legend. Freddie Mercury never performed that song live, ever. He died at age 45 from his rock star lifestyle. And he never got to sing that live. You see, we hold on to these things so tightly. And so we just have this mindset of, okay, I want to be able to find peace with God, but I don't want to feel guilt and shame because those things just, you know, just constantly overwhelm me. I don't want to feel condemned. And so you've got all of these religions around the world, and basically the message you're going to hear from them is, you know what, I am not guilty, therefore I am not condemned. That's it. I'm not guilty, and they're going to hear that over and over again. Christianity says, you know what, listen, because of sin, we are guilty. But because of Jesus, we are not condemned, and that makes all the difference in the world. Romans 8, chapter 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. We can absolutely be free because of Jesus. We can be at home because of Jesus and realize everything we have is from him. He's the only one that gives purpose to life. That's the message of Ecclesiastes. It's going to come back over and over and over again to God. The very, very last verses speak about obeying those commandments. And so, yes, I, God, I want to obey these commandments. And you might think, well, yeah, but that leaves me lost because I can't obey those commandments. I've been trying to obey those commandments. I just can't get it right. And we try 
and we try and we try. And we think, because I think I fail so often as a believer to do what God wants me to do, I, I, I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if God accepts me. As a matter of fact, if I was completely honest, the place where I start almost every morning is I think that God is mad at me. I'm, I'm very blessed to have five amazing kids. And man, we spread our kids out. I've got one wife and I've got kids, you know, 37, 33, 27, 20, and 18. I saw the U2 and Wiggles in concert in the same week. I'm probably the only person in America. So I have a girl now who, who, who's amazing, 18 years old. When she was five years old, she sent me a card. And I want to show you the card that she sent to me. It's up on the screen. And it's this beautiful card where she draws this picture. This is my daddy. This is Allie. It's a great picture. I mean, come on. For a five-year-old, it's pretty amazing, right? I mean, I've got the zombie eyes, but that's going to happen. And then inside, she writes me this incredible note. She says this. To dad, from Allie, I love you so much, and I will never stop loving you and I love you with my whole heart. Now, I wanna give you kind of two pictures here. I wanna give you kind of story A and story B. And we're gonna vote after I'm done, all right? And I want you to vote, what was my reaction to Allie? So, Art, you have to listen because we're gonna vote. Okay, here's, here's story A. I said, Allie, you know, the picture was pretty good, but let me be honest, on the inside, Wow, a lot of mistakes, baby. I mean, uh, first of all, you've kind of got this downward hill slant thing going, and uh, you cross stuff out all over. I don't know all of those mistakes. I love you so much, sweetheart. You forgot the E in love uh, so much. I can hardly even read that because it goes off the page, and I don't even know if that's an H or an N. And then I don't know if you've heard of spaces in between words. You obviously uh, didn't do it here. I will never stop loving you, sweetheart. There's no E in that. Uh, and I will love you with my whole heart. I mean, love, I don't even know what happened there. With my whole heart, H-O-L-E, H, come on, sweetheart. Sweetheart, you know what? Go back, correct this, come back, and let's get this right. That's story A. Story B. I just melted. I mean, I've got tears running down my face. I'm like, I will save this the rest of my life. This is one of the greatest treasures I will ever have. Okay, let's vote. How many of you think I responded with story A? There's always a smart aleck in the crowd, right? Always a smart aleck. Okay, we're taking you out afterwards. Okay, how many of you think story B? Come on, come on. When you think about what God thinks about you, why do you think it's story A? I know I feel that way a lot. I know I feel like God's saying, hey, get this right. I can't accept this. These are tainted love gifts, but you're gonna have to get things right. Why do I think I'm a better father than God the Father is to me? Why do I think I love my children more than God the Father loves me? Why do I think it's story A? Why do I think he's mad at me? Listen, the message of Ecclesiastes is gonna come back over and over. Our only hope is God, and the great news is he loves you. With all the failings, 
with all of the tainted love gifts, he loves you. And you melt his heart. Do you believe that? God loves you that much. We need to come back to that over and over again. Because in the I want it now world, we miss it. We miss the most basic gift that God has given us, his son, Jesus Christ. Our sin just did not magically melt away. It was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And that is the greatest love gift you will ever know. Would you please stand with me? Let me say that after I pray, there will be friends down front. If you want to talk, if you want to process, we would love to just talk with you. I don't want you to think, well, if I go down front and I talk to somebody, somebody might see me and they might know that I'm a broken person. We know you're a broken person. We're all broken people. We all are desperate for hope in life. We all desperately need Jesus. So let those things go aside. And if you need prayer, come down because there will be people down front that would love to pray with you. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this group. Father, I pray that these people would know that when you think about us, it's story B. Your heart melts, you love us, you care for us, you will never leave us. Those are promises. So Father, may we hold tight to your promises. Father, help us to guard our words. Help us to be careful. Father, help us to use our wealth for your glory. Help us to know that we are rich. And so we have so incredibly much. Help us to be the very best stewards of what you have graciously poured out upon us. So now, Father, for these people, may they go into the world in peace. May they have courage. May they hold on to those things that are true, right, and good. May they honor all people because all people have been created in the image of God. May they help the suffering. May they help the weak. May they share the gospel. And may they love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace, mercy, and peace of Jesus be with them this day and forevermore. Shalom. Amen.